Lord God, we thank you for who you are. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to preach. And I kind of wanted to pray again because I forgot one thing in the other prayer. And that's, Lord, we want to pray for Ben because his grandfather died and he took an emergency trip back to the Western Slope. But we thank you so much for him. Pray you'd bless him this morning. And uh, Lord God, I, I pray that you would, well, you would speak your words uh, through me. Father, uh, in Jesus' name, of course, and his name means you are salvation, we pray this, amen. Uh, October 17th, 1989, at, at 5.04 p.m., I had driven over to the youth house uh, to borrow the lawnmower, and I was bending over to put my key in the trunk of my 67 Mustang, and I went like this, and the key missed the keyhole. And I, and I tried again, and it missed the keel. I, th I thought it must be the red man chewing tobacco that I have since repented of. And, you know, and, I, and, I, and, and, I, and, and I thought, so the car moves. Someone's moving the car. And I, and I looked up, and the trunk, the trunk of the car it was moving, and the car was moving. There, I thought there's a kid pushing the car. No kid was there. The house was moving. The trees were moving. Then I looked up, and the hills were moving. I looked down Elpentado Boulevard, and I saw waves coming through the pavement toward me. It was the Loma Prieta earthquake of 1989, uh, and it was incredible. I, I, if you've never been in an earthquake like that, it's entirely discombobulating because everything that you thought was permanent, you suddenly realize is not at all. Being an old geology student, I thought, this is totally cool. I mean, it was just amazing. For about a, a minute or two, I felt like I was on a raft floating down a, a river. I thought it was totally, when I got home, I realized my wife didn't think it was totally cool, which she told me. She was on the lawn with Jonathan, who was one year old, and Elizabeth, who was four days old. And we sat there with a transistor radio, a battery operated, because of course the power was out, and we listened to the reports coming in. And as we did, I realized how totally not cool this this was for so many people. One of the first things that we heard was that the Bay Bridge was down. And then we heard about the Embarcadero Freeway in San Francisco. And then about the Cypress structure along the Nimitz Freeway, the 880 in Oakland. And it was weird because one section would be utterly demolished. And then just uh, right next to it, there would be an area that would be just fine. And this map explains why. Uh, where the freeway was built on soft mud, sand, and, and gravel, um, the soft mud, was sometimes a, this process called liquefaction, but always the gravel and the sand would amplify the seismic waves. Kind of like if you take jello, put it in a bowl, and shake the bowl, the jello or water in a bathtub shakes out. It would amplify the waves, and then that section would crumble. Where the freeway was built on rock, however, it would be uh, just fine. In San Francisco, uh, houses, the next slide, houses on one block would be just fine. Houses on the next block would be utterly demolished. And this is why. This map shows why. This is a kind of like a, a landfill map of San Francisco. Where houses were built on the rock, they were fine. But other houses were built on landfill, sand and gravel that was dumped into the bay uh, around the turn of the century. And in those places, uh, on the mud and the sand, the shaking would be amplified and the houses would fall. But if a house is built on bedrock, it moves with the rock. It's attached to the rock. 
and it's undamaged by the rock. Kind of like when you're in a car accident, if your seatbelt is on, you're much more likely to be okay. Well, I'm just saying the foundation makes all the difference. And here's a really crazy thing. You can't judge a foundation from the outside of a house. To judge the foundation, you have to go inside the house and dig down into the basement. You can't judge. But an earthquake or a storm will judge. So they built great structures on a bad foundation, and great was the fall of them. <laughs> and so you might wonder, well, why would anybody build on unconsolidated soil and sand? Well, because in places like San Francisco, it was cheaper and easier. And in Jesus' day, it was also cheaper and easier. If you build on sand, you can easily move the foundation to accommodate the thing that you're building. But if you build on rock, the thing that you're building, well, it must be accommodated. It must conform to the foundation, to the rock. Now, you may say, hey, Peter, this is just some really wonderful information on geophysics and mechanical engineering, but why are you telling us this? Well, because we're preaching through the parables. Remember, we're taking a break. Uh, but today we're preaching about a story that Jesus tells at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew uh, chapter 7. He concludes his message with this parable. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat on that house, but it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now that seems straightforward enough, right? And in Matthew, it's kind of clear what he's doing. Jesus has just climbed a mountain and expounded God's law, and now will embark on a journey. Just like Moses climbed Mount Sinai and received God's law and embarked on a journey. However, if you, if you know the story, you know that Moses never arrived at his destination, at least not in his lifetime. For although he knew about the good, he didn't do the good. There was a scandal. Do you remember the scandal? It involved email. No, it didn't involve email. <laughs> what was it? Was it an affair? Was it money? It wasn't something that you could judge, really, from the outside, only from the inside. Do, do you remember what it was? Why, why Moses didn't enter the promised land? Moses developed a bad attitude toward a rock. <laughs> you heard me correctly, a rock. And that's just, that's just bizarre. Anyway, Matthew is comparing Moses and Jesus. The name Jesus is just the Greekized, then Anglicized uh, form of the name Joshua. Joshua. And it's Joshua that finally led Israel into the promised land where Solomon, son of David, builds the house of God on a rock called the foundation stone on top of Mount Zion. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Th 
these words, these words of Jesus, these words are somehow like, like a rock. And we all know that Jesus is the word. And all creation then is like what that word does. Romans 1.20, Paul writes, God's invisible attributes have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been done or made. Uh, in Greek, poema. It's a word used only twice in scripture, but it comes from a very common word, uh, verb poeo, to do or to make. And that's the word that uh, is used here in this parable. Well, God's word does or makes poema. It's where we get our English word poem. God's creation is a poem. He speaks and beauty happens. Creation happens. So, so Jesus teaches that a wise man does, poeo, the word, and his house is like a poema. And that poema must be reality itself. So you see, God's not like a, a big stickler for rules. So then what is it? Well, he just wants his children to live in reality. His word is reality. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does poeo them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The thing you build your house on is the thing you trust. Trust is faith. Since the Reformation, Protestants have been preoccupied with a ridiculous, silly argument about what saves us. Is it faith or works? Technically, it's neither. God saves us. God is salvation. Remember, God, God saves us. God saves you by speaking faith into you, which manifests as good works, poema. Let's say that again. God saves you by speaking faith into you, which manifests as good works, poema. You're saved by grace through faith. Faith means trust. If you trust someone, you do what they say, or you at least try to do what you say. If you don't even try to do what you say, you're lying about your trust, your faith. God wants faith, and it manifests as works, or I should say poema, a poem, a masterpiece, his workmanship. Now, Paul uses another word that uh, almost always gets translated works, and, and that word is ergon. It's where we get our word energy or ergonomics or whatever. A machine can do an ergon, but only a person who believes can make a poem. So Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, pueo, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now common sense would say, okay, so just do these words of Jesus and your house will never crumble and fall. Got it. I mean, so what's so complicated? Uh, what are these words that we might do them, pastor? Just tell me what the words are and we'll get her done. Get her done. That's the point. Well, the words are the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. So let's just scan them real quick right now, and then you can hear them, do them, and get on with your life. 
so your house won't crumble like some Victorian house in the marina district during an earthquake, okay? This is uh, Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, the juicy bits, okay, the most juicy bits. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. But if you need mercy and if you need righteousness, it kind of sounds like maybe you're not doing the words. Well, anyway, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and that are all kinds of false things against you on my account. And, and, and that's a little weird too, isn't it? Because it sounds like this dude's house is crumbling already. And, and blessed are, blessed are describes what people are, not what they should do. I mean, what we should do is like a law. Next, next line, 517. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the promise, prophets, the, the law. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So don't walk out of here saying I'm relaxing the commandments because that would just be a drag for me, okay? For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so now Jesus expounds the law. And now this is wild. He calls these words his words. I mean, Jesus is being a little, uh, there's, well, anyway. Uh, you have heard that it was said, you shall not murder. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. You've heard it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You've heard it was said an eye for an eye. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. But I say to you, love your enemies. That'd be like ISIS and your mother-in-law. Love them. And pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, perfect. And beware of practicing your righteousness before people in order to be seen to them. And check this out. You're one of those people. Listen to this next line. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That means be perfectly good without consciously trying to be good. Pray then like this. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. I think that means like bank accounts. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. And then he says this great little thing about grass. I mean, look at the grass. It's clothed, and then the next day, it's thrown into an oven. So don't worry about it. You're like grass, and then it's thrown into the fire. Judge not that you not be judged. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Enter by the narrow gate. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And now our verse. Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> just do that and don't worry about it. Just, just, do, just do that and your house won't fall. <laughs> now, unless... You're a complete idiot or, or mentally ill. You've got to be thinking to yourself, hey, no one has ever done all of that. Well, not, that means everyone's house is going to fall or has fallen. No one has ever done all of that. Except Jesus. 
And if I ever did that, I mean, if I even tried to do that, my house would not look like this. It wouldn't, it wouldn't look like this. My, my, my house and, and my life would look, I would look more like, like this. And, and that raises a rather fascinating question, doesn't it? Jesus does what Jesus says. And has his house fallen? Does his house fall? Well, technically, he, he didn't have a house. He didn't have any place to lay his head. And yet he said, destroy this house, this temple, and in three days I will rebuild it. And the Bible says something about us being his house and his body, and, and that's just kind of weird. So... I don't know, it raises a question for me. If only Jesus truly does what Jesus says, should I even try to do what Jesus says? If our houses are all set to fall or have fallen, and only Jesus fully does what Jesus says, why should we even try to do what Jesus says? You know, when my firstborn son was little, I tried to teach him how to walk. And one day he said to me, Father, I have fallen. And I just fall and I fall and I fall. Every, everybody falls. And Father, I know that you are a hard man and, and you demand success and not failure. So in the deepest, deepest humility, I confess to you that I have fallen and I resolve to live the rest of my life in bed. Actually, he didn't say that. But when he'd fall, I'd, I'd do this. I'd say, John, John, walk to daddy. Look at daddy. Look at me. Come to me. Walk to me. Walk to me. Walk to me. And, and looking at me, he'd fall, get up, fall, get up, fall, and he'd start to, start to walk. But if he looked at his feet, he'd, he'd crash. But when he looked at me, he'd walk to me. And when he looked in my eyes, he did not see condemnation. What did he see? A promise. Walk, walk, walk. You will walk. So without convincing himself that he should try, he would try. Because he wanted to do my word. He would walk into the promise in my eyes. Paul writes that we see the glory of God shining in the face of Christ. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, writes the author of Hebrews, let us run, run. He's the word of God, and if we like the word of God, we might hunger for his righteousness, look to him for help, ask him for help, and hey, he said something about in the sermon, seek and you will find, ask and it will be given unto you. Well, anyway, I'd say, come on, John, come on, John. Walk, walk to daddy. And he didn't hear condemnation or threats. He heard a promise. So how do we hear the word of God without feeling condemned by the, God, by the word of God and, and thus hating the word of God and not looking to the word of God? Now, you all know this because you all have a Bible and you don't read it. <laughs> sometimes, but, but you're scared to sometimes. How do we hear the word of God without feeling condemned by the word of God and thus hating the word of God and not looking to the word of God? Another way to say that, how do we hear the law 
without hating the law? How do we build our house on the rock without hating the rock? You know, in our parable, Jesus didn't say a rock. He said the rock. That's kind of significant. In Exodus 17, standing on Mount Zion, when Moses received the law written on the rock, God tells Moses to strike the rock because Israel needed to be saved. That's crazy. Strike the rock, and according to Psalm 78, God breaks the rock, not, not Moses. God breaks the rock, and living water flows from the rock, saving Moses and Israel, and it's all good. But almost 40 years later, in Numbers 20, many miles from the previous location of the rock, God tells Moses to take the staff and speak to the rock. Well, that's kind of weird, right? Because the rock has moved a ways, like with Israel. He says, speak, speak to, to the rock. But Moses struck the rock as if he was the Lord of the rock, and he could push the rock around to accommodate what he was building. Well, God still builds uh, uh, what he was building. He still breaks the rock, and water still flows from the rock, saves Israel. But God says to Moses, because you didn't believe in me, you shall not lead the people into the land. And just a weird thing. It was the same thing that Moses had done before from the outside. It looked like the exact same thing. But it must have been different at the foundation. And Moses had heard the word but couldn't do the word. Just as Moses received the law and after 40 years, he, he, he didn't do the law. He was frustrated with the law. But he felt condemned by the law and was angry at the law like he seemed to be angry at this, this, this rock. Well, well, because of his attitude toward the rock, he wasn't founded on the rock. And his house, actually all Israel fell in the wilderness. They all fell in the wilderness except Joshua and his dog, Caleb, Caleb. 1 Corinthians 10.4, St. Paul writes this. Our, the Bible is such a crazy, wild, amazing book if you just take it seriously. But listen to this. St. Paul writes, our fathers drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, he says, no other foundation can be laid than that which is laid, and that foundation is Christ. The rock was Christ. No wonder God gets so weird with Moses, right? The rock was Christ, but Moses didn't know Christ. At least not until he stands on the Mount of Transfiguration with Christ 1,500 years later in the Promised Land. Pretty amazing. Well, anyway, you know, you can come to Christ as if he were a law that you could work and thereby earn his favor. That is, you can come to his table thinking that you deserve his table, and if you do, St. Paul says you will drink judgment on yourself and maybe even death. Or you can come to the table in gratitude that Jesus the rock was broken for you, and now you drink rivers of living water. Life. The life is in the blood. But you see, the rock doesn't change. Isn't that amazing? It doesn't change. We change relative 
to the rock. Throughout the Old Testament, God is called the rock. And in the New Testament, Jesus is called the rock. You can receive Jesus' words as law, knowledge of the good that you yourself can fulfill and then be proud of fulfilling it. You can receive Jesus' words as law or as promise. You can receive God's word as something you must do or as a promise of what God will do in you, as if we are what God does. His poema. Ephesians 2.10. This is the other place where poema is used in the New Testament. Paul writes, you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not of works, not of ergon, for you are God's poema. You're his poem. So Jesus says, whoever hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The next time Jesus says rock in the Gospel of Matthew, he's talking to his friend that he nicknamed Rocky. That's Petros in Greek or Peter in, in English. Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ and Jesus says, you're Rocky. You're Rocky. And on this rock, I will build, I will build, I will build my church. That's God's house. I will build. It's like Jesus is the wise man who builds his house the wise man who does God's word, he does God's word and he builds God's house with Peter on himself. In Peter. So think this through. His words are the rock. And now the rock is in Peter. Jesus has somehow spoken himself into Peter. Faith in Peter is like Jesus in Peter building his house. Peter, Peter, you know, is far from perfect, but at least for a moment, I don't know if you remember this, he was perfect. He, he did Jesus' words like, like God's poema. Remember they were on the Sea of Galilee. There's a storm. The disciples are all in a boat, and uh, they're stressed, and Jesus comes walking by on the water, and the guys are freaked, and he yells to him, don't be afraid, and then he bids Peter to come to him walking on the water, and Peter does Jesus' word. He does it the way Jonathan would do my word. Walk to me, walk to me, walk to me. As long as Peter looked at Jesus, he walked on the water like it was a rock. While he was looking at Jesus, he walked on the water, but the moment he looked at his feet or the wind and the waves, he sank. And he cried out, Lord, save! Lord, help! Help me! He asked, and Jesus did. He saved him. Peter failed. And Jesus didn't condemn Peter. He saved Peter. Story over? No! Peter's still going to fail. In fact, he failed in just a, a massive way. At one point, Peter boldly declares, though everyone deny you, I will never deny you, Lord. And that night, his house utterly crumbled as the cock crowed and Jesus looked at him with the very same eyes. And Peter realized that he had just denied his Lord, denied the one he loved three times. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. His house fell. And great, great, great was the fall of it. And then Jesus built his house on Peter, with Peter. Jesus knew Peter, 
in his shame. And then Peter knew Jesus. And Jesus built his house out of Peter. You know, I don't know how else to read this except for that we all have two houses. One that we build that must fall, it must fall, and one that God builds with us that is eternal. It's like just what Paul wrote in Ephesians 2.10. For we are his poema created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, that we should live in them. So when we hear Christ's words and we do Christ's words, we must not be proud but grateful. Why? Because Jesus the wise man is building his house with us on him. As if the rock moved and found us. He doesn't change, he doesn't move, and yet he moves and finds us or somehow draws us to him. And Jesus said he was going to do that, right? He was going to draw everyone to himself, but it's like the rock moves. Somehow he found us and started speaking us into existence. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And in the Old Testament, Psalm says, unless the Lord builds the house, the workmen labor in vain. So Jesus is the rock, and Jesus builds the house. And so you just might ask, well, does that mean I do nothing? Do I not have to sweat? Do I do nothing? Answer, no. Now you do everything. You hear Jesus' words and you do them like a poem, like a dance, like a toddler walking to his father. Not because you know about the words, not because you know about the words, but because the word knows you. Jesus said, whoever hears these words of mine and does them, and these are the words right before he says that. Remember 721, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many, many mighty works, uh, ergon in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, workers of lawlessness. So pay close attention because I think Jesus just taught us something. Doing the Father's will is being known by Jesus. So have you let Jesus know you? For what is it that he does not know? What is it that the truth does not know? He does not know the false you. He does not know the you that you have constructed to impress him and everyone else in this room. He doesn't know that you. And what does Jesus know? The real you. The naked you, hiding in that other you. In Scripture, you know, there are two ways of knowing. One results in death, and the other one results in Pregnancy. It results in pregnancy. Yeah, that's life. One results in death, one results in pregnancy. You're right, Len. But it's fascinating when you look at the story. Uh, Moses received the law, knowledge of the good, and couldn't do, do the good and build God's house. That's the first way of knowing. 
Joshua, who leads God's people into the promised land, uh, well, they're the ones that build a house on the rock called the foundation stone on Mount Zion. Joshua 24, this amazing thing happens. Joshua calls all of Israel together, and then he says this thing that's on pillows and books and, and doormats down at the Christian bookstore. He says, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Three verses later, he says, but you cannot. <laughs> I love that. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But then he said to the people, and you cannot serve the Lord, for he's holy. I mean, to me, that sounds just like Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So the only way you can hear these words and do them, the only way you can serve the Lord is if you're part of Joshua's house. Like a son or, or a bride, for then you won't hear his word as condemnation, but, but promise. You know, Jesus summed up the whole law this way, quoting Deuteronomy. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and, and uh, you will, not, not just you shall, it's just future active indicative. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you will love your neighbor as yourself. Do you hear a threat? Or do you hear a promise? As long as you think you're the builder of your house, you'll hear the word as condemnation and build a false self to protect your real self. But if you hear the word as a promise, your life will begin to look like God's poema. As for me and my house, we will, we will, we will serve the Lord, says Joshua. So how do we become part of his house? Well, Joshua must choose to adopt you as his child. Or he must choose to marry you as his bride and make you his body. And the gospel is that he has chosen to do that, and he did do that. That's what this is all about, that he's chosen that, and he's done that. And when you see that and receive that, you will stop trying to push the foundation around. And you'll come to rest on the rock, your foundation. You will stop building your life in faithlessness and fear and be built up in grace, on grace, with grace. As a child, you'll look in your father's eyes, shining in the face of Christ, and, and, and begin, begin walking, begin walking, not because you see condemnation, but because you believe the promise. You will love, you will love, you will walk, you will love, you will. And like a bride on her honeymoon night, you'll surrender your house, stop hiding your shame, and in your place of shame, the great bridegroom will know you. His word is seed. The seed bears fruit. That's how he builds his house. So to hear his words and do them looks less like this and more like this. You know, we will all have to surrender the houses or the house that we've built. 
in order to become the house that he has built. Some of you have very little houses, or maybe you have no house, but you yourself are his mansion. Some of you have uh, very big houses, and yet you may still feel homeless. The Bible doesn't condemn big houses unless you think that the houses belong to you and you use them to keep other people out. And I need to issue this warning. The greater the house, the greater the house that you think you have built, the greater will be the fall of it. No matter what, though, you must lose your life in order to find it. You must lose it. You must lose the house that you have built in order to become the house that God has built and is building. And, and, and you see, that's actually according to plan because God reveals our new house on the ashes of our old house. The Jews were led to build Jerusalem and the temple. And, and it was great. It was great. And great, great, great was the fall of it. And then on that very spot, the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven, not built by human hands, but built by God's hands with humans like living stones. She's a temple, and she is the bride. So Jesus says, all who hear these words of mine and do them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. All week, I kept thinking to myself, what am I trying to say? What am I trying to say? How do I illustrate this? And then it became dreadfully clear to me during the course of the week, oh, Jesus, I think I know what you're trying to say through me. 23 years ago, I moved to Colorado to build my dream house. Lookout Mountain Community Church on I-70 was my dream. It grew from less than 100 to a few thousand in just 15 years. We built an awesome new multi-million dollar facility. Immediately, we had three services on a weekend. I mean, it was a great house. Nothing was wrong with, with the house. Soon I had published two books that sold down at Barnes and Nobles, books that people actually read. I had publishers and, and agents like clamoring for my attention. We hosted the General Assembly of our denomination in our new building. And all were impressed with me or envious of me. Look out community. It was my, it was my dream. It was my dream. I had mapped it out ever since seminary, and it was, I'd, I'd used my knowledge of good church and bad church, and everything basically, it was hard work, but everything basically had gone according to plan. It was my dream. And that doesn't mean that in some way it also was not God's dream, but it was my dream. And I remember thinking, I'm set. <laughs> this house will never fall because they need me. I built this house. They took out even a key man insurance, big key man insurance policy on me. That was that important. They need me. This house will, my house will never fall. This is a great house. I built my house. And meanwhile, God was building me. I'd always preached expositional sermons. And, and I began to fall more and more in love with Jesus and his word. And I began to preach more and more of Jesus and his word. December 6, two, 16, 2001, I still remember this. I spoke his, his words. I decided I'm just going to speak his words from Revelation 21, verse 5. I, I stood up and, and I, I spoke it. I uh, spoke what, what Jesus said. He, he said, um, behold, I make all things new. I make all things new. 
And I remember thinking uh, to myself, should I say this? But I said it. He makes all things new. Thanks, Kimberly. And then after I said it, I remember, I remember saying, um, well, I guess he does. <laughs> and then for six years, I kept waiting for a verse or something that would reveal that that wasn't true. And I searched and I searched. And I found over and over again verses that seemed to say the exact same thing in a different way, but I couldn't find anything that contradicted that in any conclusive sort of way. I, I began to realize that we religious leaders had stopped building on the foundation, which is Christ, who is God is salvation. That's a God's promise. He's God's promise. And we started believing we are salvation and building with our knowledge of good and evil, the law. God is salvation. That means we are not salvation. God is the foundation. That means we are not the foundation. To make a long story story, just when I thought my great house would never fall, it began to like miraculously fall. I mean, it was miracle bad. <laughs> and great, great, great was the fall of it. And I was presented with a choice. So were many of you. I was told that I had to publicly renounce the word that I preached or lose my house. And I really thought it was a great, 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 great house. And so great, great, great was the fall of it. Ten months later, September 28, 2008, I was just so insanely depressed. I was sitting in a retreat center in Michigan uh, with my wife. Some of you had paid for me to go there. I was sitting there when all of a sudden I watched Susan grab a pencil and paper and start writing furiously. And I knew God was saying something to her. And she has this wild gift, and I've learned uh, to believe it. She wrote this thing down on paper, and I keep it in a frame behind my desk so I can ever read it every, every few weeks. This is what she wrote Peter, you are my heart. They cannot take away from you who you are, who I have made you. He said, who I have made you, not who you have made you, who I have made Obviously, they can take away from me who I have made me, and, and that has to be taken away and will be taken away. He continues, now that you know who you are, I'm calling you to walk in freedom to free people, to be who you are supposed to be, totally stripped of all, God has been allowed to clothe you. I will show you the way to go, my heart. See, I think he's saying something like that to every one of us. They can, the world can, whoever they is, they can and will take away from you all that you have made you to be. But nothing can take away from you who I have made you to be. That's eternal. We make ourselves with pride, fear, arrogance, shame, desperation, and God makes us with grace. When we make ourselves, our flesh is in control. When God makes us, we are being controlled by love. God is love. And we are his poema, his poem, a love poem. Well, like I was saying, 
Lookout Mountain Community Church was my dream. And the sanctuary was not my dream. It was not my plan. Nobody, I felt crucified. Nobody plans for that. It was not my plan. It was not the way I would do things. It's still not the way I would do things. For seven years, I've wondered. I've wondered if we're still going to be around another week or the following month. The sanctuary was not my dream, but I do believe the sanctuary is God's dream. That's why I can't make it go, and I can't make it stop. His dream, not a group of people that use their knowledge of God to build things for God, but a group of people that are known by God and therefore know God and delight in His Word and so are built by Him into His house. The sanctuary is not my dream. I believe the sanctuary is God's dream, and that means that we're not the dreamers. We're the dream. We're not the builders. We're the thing being built. We're built when we hear his word, not as a threat, but as a promise. That's called the gospel. God is salvation in a word, Jesus, and he is the rock. He's the rock. For seven years, I've wondered if we'd be here another week or the following month, and God continues to provide. This building has been great. This building has been great, but you know, we've really struggled to pay the rent here, and on September 30th, our lease runs out. For almost two years, we've been looking for another facility, and we haven't found anything that's close to suitable. Just two months ago, a member of our building committee, however, did find something. A few weeks ago, two of our members offered to guarantee a loan and arrange for us to purchase this building well under fair market value. And because we needed, needed to move quickly, the, the board voted this past week to unanimously voted to take them up on this incredibly gracious offer. And so 48 hours ago, we purchased this building. Yeah. I mean, maybe you know it. It's within walking distance of this place. It's, it's just, uh, it's on Spear, just west of Federal. We plan to move in October 1st, which is almost seven years to the day from that moment when Susan received those words from Jesus. We've been paying eleven dollars to $12,000 a month in rent and utilities for this place. We expect to pay about $6,500 a month in mortgage and insurance payments on this new one. We're paying less for this building than we have paid in rent over the last eight years. If you're interested in the details of that, we're having an informational meeting this Tuesday night over in the youth room, and you can come talk to us about it. But it's an incredible, incredible building. Um, this is the inside from, from the back, and this is the inside uh, from the front. There's that kind of wall in the middle because it's a big, big room, and uh, this has been the Zen Center of Denver. So they put in a flat floor that uh, we have some money in the loan to kind of rearrange things. We have to figure out how to make that work. I mean, it's more building than we need, but buying a bigger building would have cost, uh, a smaller building would have cost more money. And I want to say this. We will always be a church without walls. Why? Because the church has no walls. The building isn't the sanctuary. We are the sanctuary. We are the church. And we are called to go beyond the walls that we meet in. So if people ask you, why did you buy this building? I want this to be your answer. Because it's just freaking cold in Colorado in December. Okay? It's cold. 
And God has provided a place for the sanctuary to stay warm. Currently, the building functions as a Zen center, like I said, but originally it was the fourth church of uh, Christ scientists, not to be confused with Scientology, but Christian, Christian science. It's an absolutely gorgeous, amazing building that we're purchasing for an amazing price, but this is my favorite part of the building. It's an inscription written into rock across the top of the building, Psalm 46. God is our refuge. Because that looks like a pretty nice refuge, doesn't it? God is our refuge and our strength. And you see what that means every, every Sunday you come to church? It means this building is not our refuge and strength. So if it comes down to a choice, lose the house or step off the rock, let's all plan to lose the house. For if not, great, great, great will be the fall of it. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, everyone who hears the word, this is the word speaking words, everyone who hears the word and does it will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And so Jesus is the rock. And at the beginning of that day, he took the bread saying, this is my body, and he broke it. God broke it. And life came out. Living water came out. This is my body, take and eat. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance do it in remembrance of me. So look, <laughs> the rock has moved all the way from Mount Sinai to Mount Zion, Mount Calvary. I don't know, maybe Lookout Mountain was in there somewhere. Whatever, whatever the case, it's moved to you right now. And he's calling to you. Come to me, come to me, come to me, I'm, I'm the rock. Uh, come to me and be built up in me, my house. I think God is calling us to himself. Come, come to the rock, receive his word, be built into his house. It was Peter actually that wrote this. He said we are being built into a house. We are living stones built on the cornerstone. In Jesus' name, come and worship God for his word, his promise. Believe the gospel in Jesus' name and live. So take a moment to surrender to his design. Just close your eyes. If you were thinking to yourself, well, they're talking about this building thing. Doesn't have anything to do with me. You're so wrong. Because your whole life is a building, isn't it? You've been working on it since you're a little kid. 
kind of since you found out that certain things were good and other things were bad, and you decided you were going to build the good. So you went to school, you stayed hard, you, sometimes you walked, sometimes you fell, sometimes you did this, you did that. You, you're building a building, and, and uh, I don't know how old you are, but uh, you're worried that it's going to fall. Well, I got news for you, it will fall. We're all going to die. Some of you have businesses and they've fallen apart and, and it terrifies you. Some of them, they're going strong. Well, I, I'm just telling you, just, just don't hang on to them very tightly. Uh, don't think that they're the great thing in this world. Don't think they're so great because then great will be the fall of them. We, we're all building a house and it, it will all crumble and it will all fall. It will all fall. So just right now, just surrender your house. You know what I think a ghost is? Someone that will not surrender the house. But you can surrender the house. For you have another house built by your father that will not fall. And he wants you to appreciate that house. In fact, you can begin to live in that house right now. Your father is love, and with his word, he builds his house. It's a poem. It's you surrendered to his love, and that house is indestructible. When you believe love and live love, you're living in that house. So see, the whole world is upside down. The things we think are permanent, they're not permanent at all. And the things we think are transitory and just like the wind. Oh, love is not the wind. It is the wind, but it's the foundation of all things. Love is your father. So surrender your house and begin to live in God's house, believing in his house, and you'll begin to act, you begin to look like, like his poem. Lord God, thank you that you're good. And so in Jesus' name, we surrender to you our houses. And Lord, we also surrender to you this new building. I just thank you so much for this building and the, and the thing that's eternal in it is the grace and the love that went into purchasing it by people that I know and by all of us. Lord, that's eternal. That will never fall. One day this building will fall, but that will never fall. Your church, your church is built on the rock. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen. And now I, I want to ask you, oh well, no, I'm not going to ask you to, to give more. Because I don't know if you should give more. What I would ask you is that you would pray about giving more. And not because we need more building. We have more than enough building. And we actually have it cheaper uh, than this building. Um, because we couldn't buy a smaller building for cheaper than what we got this building. Okay, So I'm not asking for more money for a building. I'm asking for more uh, money, or I'm not asking, I'm asking you to pray about more money for more ministry, because I think that God has called this church to foundation work. In fact, when that other church blew up, I remember um, someone, part of our congregation, sent me a vision that they had, and I was standing on a rock, and I was elevated, I haven't understood this until actually this morning, I was elevated off this rock in this vision, and I was like glowing and people were looking at me and clapping and thinking it was all so wonderful. And she said, I looked at you and then something in your, it was like you realized, no, this wasn't quite right. And, and you came back down and you just stood on the rock. <laughs> it was just an old rock and you just stood there. I think that's who we are. We're called to stand on the rock. 
and do foundation work. And the name of the rock is God is Salvation. And the church has been seduced by another idea, and that is that we are salvation. If you preach from the rock, it sounds different than if you preach from that other foundation that's made of sand where we push the rock around. I think we're called to be a worshiping community that comes together uh, upon the foundation and speaks the word from the foundation. And I think we're supposed to speak it beyond these walls uh, to people that may be watching online. We have people that watch online and other places. And I think that is uh, who God is telling us that we are. And it's something that we do by everyone giving their time and energy and whatever. So I, this is what I ask of you. I just ask that you would pray about it. And people go, well, what happens if we don't get this, if we don't get that, if money doesn't come in? And I go, oh, we'll do something else. We'll do something else because God hasn't changed. God is the same, but I think he's, he's calling us to this. So this is what I'm just asking, that you would pray about giving more. If you watch, wherever the camera is, if you watch online, um, I would love if you'd pray about it too. Um, and uh, then let's just believe the gospel and live it. Let that be the benediction in Jesus' name. And remember, if you have questions about this or whatever, you can come talk to me right now or uh, one of our board members or come to the meeting on Tuesday night. There's Sly in the, in the back there. Um, Kevin, well, Kevin's right back there. And uh, Matt is, I think, somewhere around here. But anyway, and if you want prayer, members of the prayer team are down front. So I'm rambling on. Just believe the gospel, okay? In Jesus' name, amen.